0: Who is God to you? What do you think of when you think of God? Uh, What what kind of a God comes to mind? In, In terms of how you've lived your life and the things you've learned about God and who you expect him to be, who is God to you? And at the moments of life when life is turned upside down, when you get the unexpected or the unwanted medical news of a family member or a child or a spouse or a parent. And when you find that news, then at that moment, what do you think of God? Who is God to you? When, when you find, uh, when you get unexpected news at work, whether you uh, are employed, or whether you are the employer, and things take a turn for the worse, or certainly unexpected, and you, 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 you no longer have the future that you thought was rock solid and stable. Who is God to you at that moment? Do you see God as a God who cares? Perhaps it's not one of those earth-shattering, life-turned-upside-down, all-at-once type moments. Maybe it's maybe it's a progressive, perpetual thing that upon years you have uh, just little by little, the circumstances of life have packed themselves up and you struggle to see God accurately. Uh, p- perhaps it's it's that thing that you have wanted and desired and you have prayed for years that God would provide. And to this point, his answer has been no. Then who is God to you in those moments? Um, perhaps you are in a season of rebellion or you're least cold toward the things of God. Who is God to you in those moments? Perhaps you know you are, are not as close to God as you should be. Perhaps you know that you are walking in, in hardened sin And why? What is it that you're thinking about God that is allowing you to walk away from the truth? What if it's just less serious than that? and just circumstances of life have piled themselves up, and you just look at life, and you say, there's no one single thing I can point to, but certainly, if God was a God who cares, as we've titled this message this morning, my life wouldn't look the way it does now. Because if God was a God who cares, then certainly he'd care even about these little things. And and, and my life would be different, and so I'm not convinced that I care about who the God of the Bible is, because I'm not convinced that God cares. Do you ever find yourself in these moments of life? And and who is God to you because I want to encourage you and the reason we're going to go to some of these psalms and especially this morning in Psalm 138 that the way that we think about God in these moments of life is extremely important that we think accurately and truthfully about who God is. And we need the truth of Scripture to remind us who God is because all of us at times will struggle to to remember and live the right truths of who God is. We might know the right things about who God is in our head, but to actually live them out and flesh them out in our lives, we might struggle to do that. And so we need to be reminded of who God is. We need to know who God is because our lives will be lived out based on how we actually think about God. How our heart actually believes about God. Not just the mental things that we know to be true, but in the actual where the pavement hits the road, what we believe about God is then how we're going to live out in these moments of life. And I want you to know, as we go through this psalm, one of the things you're going to be encouraged by is that God is a God who cares. If you're taking notes and you want to write it down this morning, the one thing that I want you to remember is we're going to see that our God is a God who cares. He is. Do you believe that? The circumstances of life that I described earlier, do you believe that God is a God who cares? Or do you are you more tempted to think of him as someone who is distant, as someone who's uninvolved, certainly detached from your pains and troubles and trials? That 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 God is someone who couldn't be intimately involved in the aspect of your lives, because otherwise why would it turn out this way? Do you think that God is a God who cares? Are you walking with God because you believe that He cares? Or have you so detached yourself from the idea of God that you can live life your own way, and, and live as if you are your own God in charge of your own life, and you don't have to pay attention to who God is, because certainly that is not a place that we would want to be. And as we go to this psalm, we're going to see that our God is a God who cares, and we're going to find a lot of encouragement in who this God is. And so I want to go through the psalm together, and then as we make it through the verses, I want to back up and just talk about some applications that we can bring into our life, and it will encourage us with who God is. Psalm 138, it's the first psalm in a section that begins to close the book. For the next seven or eight psalms, uh, they're all going to be by David. Uh, He's the author of them his last section of psalms to close out the book and and it's a psalm of praise and remember these would be songs that the people would repeat that they would sing in praise in their worship and over and over it would remind them of the truth of who God is it's kind of neat to see this truth of God recorded in this form to see it recorded in songs that the people would repeat to remind themselves even as I said some of these truths we have to work at remembering because they don't come to us uh, things that we must remind ourselves because they wouldn't otherwise naturally come to us so look what david says in psalm 138 he he says in verse 1 i give you thanks O lord with my whole heart that word thanks the, the idea of praise in one place it's translated praise so here's david he's praising god he's thanking god with the totality of his being with his whole heart before the gods i sing your praise I bow down towards your holy temple and give thanks to your name. He, the idea is that before all, in the presence of all, he's proclaiming God's greatness, God's goodness. He's singing his praise. Why? He bows down towards your holy temple and gives thanks to your name for your steadfast love and your faithfulness. For you have exalted above all things your name and your word. On the day I called you answered me. My strength of soul you increased. Here's what David proclaims and, and he's saying as, for the people to remind themselves that God is a God who deserves to be praised because of his steadfast love and his faithfulness. This is the idea of God's covenant love for his people. His faithful love for his people. That God chose the nation of Israel. Why? Because of his goodness. Because of his graciousness. Because of his steadfast love he was going to fulfill his promises to bring a Messiah to bring a Redeemer and that through the people of Israel the world would have a Savior and God had a Dead fast covenant love for these people and, he, and David praises God for it. And he realizes that God has exalted above all things his name and his word that who God is deserves to be praised extremely high above all else. His name and his word has been exalted and that's who God is. And the psalmist says on the day I called you answered me. My strength of soul you increased. And we're going to come back and look at that just a little bit but here he's praising God because there has been deliverance. David was off in someone in who is life, who was surrounded by enemies, who he had to cry out to God for strength. And you often saw God deliver. And David remembers these things and he's praising God for them. And the people remember that our God is a God who delivers. He, he, he brings strength. He's exalted his name and his word above all things. He has a steadfast love. And then you come to verse 4. And he switches gears just a little bit and he says, All the kings of the earth shall give you thanks, O Lord, for they have heard the words of your mouth, and they shall sing of the ways of the Lord, for great is the glory of the Lord. Now I want you to think about these verses because they're somewhat ironic. Remember, at this time, the world, all other nations are pagan nations. They don't know about the truth of who God is. David is forward looking to a future day when one day all kings, all nations will recognize who the true God is. And God was working on behalf of Israel. They were his chosen people. From the very beginning, they were to be a testament and a light that others would see who God is through them. And David David's looking for the day when all kings recognize what David knows. That David, as the king of Israel, realizes that God is the true God, the one to be praised. And so you think about this and imagine this in our day. Even as I was talking with the kids. And to imagine to meet someone important like a football player, right? Could you imagine meeting kings? Could you imagine meeting the highest authorities in countries? And typically we think of that in scenarios where they are on top of all, right? Everyone is coming to them. At times, kings are bowed down and worshiped too, right? At times, kings are the most important and they expect everyone to lob their greatness. What does David say? David is envisioning a day when the kings bow down and worship God. When the most important people in all the land are singing the praises of the one, the only one, who truly deserves to be worshipped. That's how good our God is. That's how great our God is. The same God who one day will be worshipped by all kings, David says, he has a steadfast love for me. On the day I called, he answered me. Can you believe that? That not only uh, is God so good that all kings must bow in his presence, but he takes note of the psalmist. On the day he called, he answered. And that's part of the truth then that David turns to as he goes to verse 6. And he, he, he notes this ironic twist in the character and the nature of who God is. And so he says, for though the Lord is high, he regards the lowly but the haughty he knows from afar. You see, it God is so high, he is so high that all the kings of all the nations bow and worship to him and sing his praises. And yet, even though he's high, if you want to get noticed by God, God notices the lowly. God has regard for those who are humble in heart. It's the haughty and the prideful for those that God knows from afar. Those who, who, who do not have the same access into God's presence won't have the same relationship with God. Typically, we tend to think if I wanted a king to know me, if I wanted someone important to know me, I would have to do, I'd put on my best clothes. I would, I would do everything I could to make myself as good as I could so that hopefully they would know me, right? Well, here the psalmist is saying God, even though he's high, even though he deserves to be worshiped by all kings in all places, he regards the lowly. He actually cares. On the day David called, God answered him. But it's the haughty that he knows from afar. And that's an interesting twist. We'll come back to that. In verse 7, he continues, Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. You stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies. Your right hand delivers me. Just Speaking in the way the Old Testament speaks of God's power, His judgment, that God is able to strike down the enemies. And the psalmist says, You've preserved my life. You've protected me. And then verse 8, The Lord will fulfill His purpose for me. Your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the work of your hands. Do you see where David? David? David closes and he comes back and he realizes the steadfast love, the faithful love, the enduring love, the covenant love of God, it endures forever. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. His love endures forever, and yet he has this request, do not forsake the work of your hands. You see what he does? On the one hand, he knows that the purposes of the Lord cannot be thwarted. On the one hand, he says, the Lord will fulfill his purposes for me, and yet he has this request, do not forsake the work of your hands. Even in that repetition of song, reminding himself of the things that he knows to be true, the Lord will fulfill his purposes for me. Lord, don't forsake the work of your hands and he has this request and he realizes that God's faithful love endures forever do you believe that do you believe that God is a God who cares that he won't forsake the work of his hands that he will fulfill his purposes for you that does not mean life will go the way we want That does not mean our purposes the Lord has to fulfill, but it does mean that the purposes the Lord has will be fulfilled in our lives. And you can trust and live your life on the fact that God is a God who cares. Do you believe that? And I trust that you do. And in the moments of life when your world is turned upside down, come back to these truths that God is a God who cares. And if you're tempted to turn your back on God and run from him because you don't believe he cares, I plead with you to see who God truly is. He truly does deserve all of your worship. He truly does does, with your whole heart. You should be crying out to him thanks for who he is because one day every king will bow. All kings will see who God is and so will each one of us where we stand before God at a judgment and we realize God is who he said he was. And so we need to be people that see him as a God who's good and a God who cares. He is a God who cares. I want to walk through this psalm, and there's just a couple of points of application as you, as you see the teaching of it and what it means. I want to come back to verse 3. Specifically, in, if you're in a midst of hardship and trial, and you're waiting to see where God is and how he will work, how it is that he will work out his purposes and plans in your life, because it's one thing for me to say that God is a God who cares, and it's another thing for me to say, uh, or for you to have to live that out and to realize, well, what if circumstances don't turn out the way that you want, right? And, And if God really cared, certainly my life would be different than it is now. I wouldn't have got the phone call that I got. This thing wouldn't have happened in my life. God would certainly turn the circumstances around. That's how we can be tempted to think. But if God is the God who cares. This is the truth we must cling to. Look what David said in Psalm 138. He says, On the day I called, you answered me. My strength of soul you increased. How does God answer the psalmist? What does he do? He strengthens his soul. At times, God's answer for us and the fact that he cares is not that he's going to take the situation away or not that he is going to make the path rosy, but it's simply the truth that God is a God who cares and on the day we call the strength of soul, he increases. A man named Derek Kinder, as he was writing on this verse, he said this, it is not always the situation which most needs changing. It is, as often as not, the man involved in it. And the psalmist realized that on the day he called, he got God's answer. God's answer was that the strength of soul he increased and some God will call to walk through roads that are painful and difficult. And the fact that God cares for you is not seen in the fact that he makes your path easy or difficult or takes the situation away. It's that he gives you the strength to walk through the situation and you see God's goodness and his care and his gracious kindness in that. Cling to it in those moments because as you're in those moments, they can be very difficult to walk through and some of you have had to live through extremely painful moments where you're wondering, where is God? Does He care? And at times like that, I would encourage you to to even just make a list of the ways that God has been faithful, the ways that He has been good, the ways that He has increased the strength of your soul. It was several years ago and I was going through, I was not here at this church, it wasn't connected to that, but I was going through a time in my life that was difficult, it was painful, I never want to go through it again kind of situation and I had a friend in my life who knew what I was going through, and he encouraged me. He said, Aaron, my greatest burden for you, I'm concerned that you would allow, that you would not see God's goodness in this, that you would grow bitter. That you would actually become bitter at the things of God. And I, and I, I asked my friend, I said, I don't want that in my life. How, how, what, what encouragement do you have? How do I avoid that? And he actually encouraged me to write a list, to make a list of all the good things that God was doing, even in the midst of the very difficult trial that he was knew I was going through. I didn't like the idea. I didn't want to thank God for what I was going through. I thought it would be awkward, and it was. I opened a Word document on my computer and I think I made it to like 9, 10, 11, something like that. I I, I just wrote out bullet points of all the good things that I could look back and say, because of this awful thing, here's the good things. I closed the document, I didn't open it for another year. Year goes by. I thought, you know what? I need to go back and look at that list. Circumstances largely unchanged, if not worse. Um, and, and, and I go back to that list, and I, I was so immensely encouraged to read through those 9, 10, 11 things. I added 10 more to them. It was the coolest thing to just to realize God is good. On the day I called, He answered, and the, my strength of soul, He increased, right? Some of you are walking through things, and you may not get the answer you want, but you need to. realize that God is a God who cares and you need to take note of where he is caring for you in your life and you need to see his goodness and cling to those truths even writing them down if necessary and looking back to give testimony just like the psalmist did on the day I called my strength of soul you increased and we need to do those things to remind us that God is a God who cares and it doesn't mean it's going to turn out the way we want but he will answer our prayers and increase strength I want you to see another thing over and over and over. Here's a second application as you go through this psalm. Over and over and over, what do you see? You see two two different thoughts about who God is. One is that he is high. He is glorious. He is worthy of all our praise. All kings bow down to him. With his whole heart, he's praising God. God is a God who's worthy of praise, right? He is completely unlike us. He is a God who is glorious. He is the creator. He's completely distinct and other and different from his creation. That's how high he is. That's how glorious he is. On the other hand, you notice that God is intimately involved in the life of his creation. When they call, he answers them. He has steadfast love that endures forever. He will not forsake the work of his hands. God is not a God who is so high that he is detached from creation. I want you to see those two things over and over and over as you go through the psalm. I, I want to use big, fancy, fun words because that's always kind of fun, especially at this point uh, in, in a message, right? So this will wake you up, hopefully, if you're having a hard time following along. So on this idea that God is good, he's glorious, not just that he's good, but that he's glorious, that he's worthy of praise, that he's different than creation, theologians use the word transcendence to describe this thought, that God transcends, he's over and above, all of his creation. He's completely distinct from creation, right? Uh, uh, Wayne Grudem defines transcendence this way. This means very simply that God is far above the creation in the sense that he is greater than the creation. He is independent of it. Don't ever, 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 ever think that God has to play by our rules, he is transcendent of us, right? He, he is God. He, he created creation. He's completely distinct and other and different than it. He's completely above it. In fact, he's so far above it that one day all the kings of the earth will give praise to God. The most important people in the world will realize his transcendence, his complete distinctness, his complete otherness. And this is what allows the psalmist to cry out with all of his heart and to sing praise praises to God. And yet, if we get that wrong, if we don't realize that God is a God who is distinct, that God is a God who is different than his creation, we will begin to question God. We will begin to wonder why God doesn't play by our rules. As Romans chapter 1 describes it, we will become a people who exchanges the truth about God for a lie. And we worship and serve the creation rather than the creator we need to realize that God is a God who is worthy and glorious. He's completely transcendent of us and with our whole hearts we ought to cry out and sing his praises because if we get that wrong we can quickly turn our backs on God and think that the way we live doesn't matter and think that we don't have to worship and serve him as God and that somehow the rules don't apply to us and we will one day wake up and realize that this is a God who transcends all creation and one day every tongue will bow every knee will confess that he is Lord. And we don't want to miss out on that because he's a God who transcends creation. Now, God's transcendence, that truth is so important, but we also need to realize, theologians help us understand that, that God, even though he's distinct from creation, he didn't just wind the world up and let it go. No, he's imminently involved in creation. God is near to his creation. He cares about his creation. And theologians use the word imminence. That God is a God who is imminently involved, intimately involved in his creation, that he is near to his creation. He cares about us. This isn't the fatalistic deism where God just winds the world up and lets it go. No, he actually cares and he's involved in our lives. Wayne Grudem, in going to some of these verses, he, he quotes Job and he says like this in Job 12.10, in his hands is the life of every living thing and the breath of all mankind. God holds all of that in his hand. Paul says in Acts that God gives to all men life and breath and everything and that in him we live and move and have our being. Colossians says that Christ holds all things together. Hebrews, that that he is continually upholding the universe by the word of power. God's transcendence, even though he is distinct does not rule out the fact that he is imminently involved in creation. He, by, it, by his power, all of it holds together. This is the only place that we will find life and identity and meeting and those deepest questions of life of who is God? Why am I here? What is the meaning of life? It will only be satisfied and found in the person of who God is because he intimately cares about our lives and the psalmist realizes that and that's why he He's crying out and giving thanks because he has seen the steadfast covenant love of God. He's seen God answer his prayer. And God is a God who cares. God is a God who's intimately involved in our lives. God's transcendence and his imminence, these are not two competing attributes of God. As if, you know, we want to make sure we don't get too much of one and the other. We need all of both. We need to fully recognize both, that God is distinct from us, He's other, He's worthy of all of our praise, and He's intimately involved in our lives. He completely cares about us. And that will help us then understand what are the, in verse 8, the Lord will fulfill His purpose for me. The, the Lord will fulfill his purpose for me his steadfast love O oh Lord endures forever do not forsake the work of your hands our God is a God because of who he is that he will carry out his care and perfection in our lives and he is at work in our lives for our good and for his glory and we can rest on that we can rest and realize as we went through as a church in Philippians that, that our God will be faithful to complete the good work that he started in us that he'll be faithful to bring it about to completion in the day of Jesus Christ. And, and so we recognize even with Paul in that prayer to the Philippians, what is God at work in our lives? These plans that he's faithful, that he's going to perfect these things in our lives that, that we know he won't forsake the work of his hands. Even as Paul prays, it's my prayer that your love would abound more and more with all knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent, be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise Of God. Why is God bringing about these things in our lives? It's for His praise and it's for His glory. These are the works that He'll be faithful to bring about. He's at work in our lives for his glory and he won't fail the works of his hands. And if we get that wrong, we'll be questioning God saying, God, why aren't you fulfilling my works? Why aren't you fulfilling my plans when we as his creation should bow in worship to the creator and say, God, perfect your work in my life for the sake of your name. This is why God's at work in our lives. It's for his glory. And we can faithfully cling to the fact that he won't forsake that work. He will fulfill his plans. And his steadfast love endures forever. In fact, God is so committed to this plan in our lives for our good and his glory that he was willing to send his son to this earth to bring about redemption that he was willing to allow his son, Jesus Christ, to live on this earth and to die a cruel death so that you and I could find life and forgiveness. So that any of us who turn from our sins and trust in what Christ accomplished on the cross will one day spend all of eternity for the one alone who is worthy of all praise and honor and glory. He's so committed to that that we will now remember what it, what it was that he sacrificed his own son in being willing to provide a salvation. And, and we don't want to miss that fact that, that how, how is it that we can... Um... How is it that we find that life and forgiveness? How is it that we understand and have a right relationship with God? The psalmist says in verse 6, For though the Lord is high, He regards the lowly. It is the haughty that He knows from afar. We need to be people who in our humility and in our repentance realize my sin does separate me from God. I can't live my own way because God is a God who is glorious and worthy of all praise. And I fall far short of that that. So in my repentance, in my lowliness, I realized that Christ alone paid the work of paid the penalty of my sins, and provided for salvation on the cross. And it's only through that humility and repentance that we can have our sins forgiven and a right relationship with God. May that be true in your hearts. May you realize and see that God is a God who cares. Yes, he is glorious. Yes, he is high, but he is intimately involved in our lives, and he is a God who cares. And we know that because of what he was willing to do for us through the person of his son. Let's pray. Father, we come to you and we are grateful for the salvation that you have provided through the person of Christ. Father, we're grateful for the hope that the gospel gives us. That even though on our own, our sins separate us from you, we realize that through what Jesus Christ did on the cross that we can have life and forgiveness. And may may each of us that cling to these truths and know them as true, order our lives by them. Father, for those that are here this morning and going through trial, may, may we cling to the fact that you are a God who cares and we can trust your good works, your plans in our lives. We ask and pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen.